Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today, you'll hear a sermon from Pastor Stan Yee. So without further ado, here he is. Well, good morning, Harvest. Yeah, morning. Um, for those of you that are, are new, my name is Stan, and uh, it's my privilege to be one of the pastors here. I just wanted to mention really quick that um, Pastor Dave is uh, traveling with his family on spring break. That's why he couldn't be here today. And then Pastor uh, Frank is actually speaking at another church, uh, church, Hope Community. So that's why he can't be here today. Uh, Pastor Jeff is here, but he's, he's with the youth group. <laughs> um, anyways, last time I was up here, I, I shared about uh, just uh, my heart for the church and just not giving up on the church, whether it's here at Harvest or just the church in general. I know that uh, for many of us, we've gone through church hurt, and we've experienced pain and, and just even um, just difficulty with church itself and, and the people in the church. And, and just it was, it was, you know, I've gone through that myself, and I feel like that was a message that God really placed on my heart at that time. And, and even still processing through it, even to, uh, to this day. Uh, but through that, through preparing for that message, I actually took an online class. Um, it was a class on Ephesians, and it's through uh, one of my you know, favorite uh, teaching sources, the Bible Project. <laughs> but, and I will put a link to that class. I would just, if, if you guys are really interested, uh, a lot of this message and the sermon series that I'll be going over is really based a lot on the content uh, from that class. And it's just a really great class. It's not super academic. You know, you don't have to have gone to seminary to take the class, but it's just a really insightful way of looking at the letter to the Ephesians and just understanding it better, understanding scripture better and how it applies to us. So for today, I'm actually just going to go over the first two verses of Ephesians. Um, And uh, here um, up on the screen is these first two verses. This is the NLT version, and I'll read that for us, and then I'll I'll pray for our, our time together. So this is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 from the NLT. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus, who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Let me pray. Father, we uh, give this time to you. Open our hearts to your words. And Lord, anything that uh, Lord comes out of my mouth that is from you, I pray that that would stay. And everything that does not, I pray that that would be forgotten. Uh, Lord, ultimately, uh, Lord, we want to draw closer to you. And Father, may you show us what it really means for Christ to be revealed to us and that how that really touches our lives, even to this day. So Father, thank you for this time. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So uh, as we begin this series on Ephesians, uh, the first thing I want to really point out is that Ephesians is a letter. Uh, Ephesians is a letter. And I think that's important to really think about today because in some ways when we read Ephesians and as we go over it, sometimes we approach it as maybe a rule book or sometimes like a theological thesis. Uh, But really it's a personal letter from Paul to the Ephesians. Um, and really to drive this point home, oh, and by the way, that's why I picked the NLT. I know that sometimes, you know, there's different Christians have different favorite versions 
right? Uh, but I think in this case, different versions actually help bring out different aspects of the passage. And so NLT, actually, you know, this is a letter from Paul. Actually, isn't in the original text, <laughs> just to be transparent, but it helps us understand the context of this letter. But anyways, to really kind of drive this point home, to really start us off of just understanding what it means for it to be a letter, I have an email that I sent to somebody a while back, and I wanted to share this email with you guys. Um, And as I read this letter, I want you guys to ask the question, who is this letter to and what's the purpose behind this letter? Or email, sorry. (laughs) What is the purpose behind this email and who is this to? So let me read this email to you guys. I'm the friend of Grace's that she's probably mentioned to you. I'm sure what she's told you about. I'm not sure what she's told you about me. So here's a little bit about me. I'm currently working for Walgreens in their IT department, but thinking and praying about going to full-time ministry. I'm not sure what ministry this may be, but trust God will guide me towards it. In terms of interests, I like sports, especially football. Go Bears. <laughs> I also enjoy movies and certain television shows. Currently watching Leverage on Netflix. I'm also a fan of reading. John Piper's Desiring God totally rocked my world and got me thinking about my faith in a totally different way. I also like other top types of books like science fiction and fantasy. That's a little bit about me. How about you? What type of work do you do? And what types of interests do you have? Okay, so what purpose is behind this email? And who do you think it's to? So I have, a, I have multiple choices up on the screen, <laughs> just, to, you know, just to help you guys a little bit with thinking about this. So, so A, is this connecting for a job interview? Is it B, connecting for romantic interest? Or is it C, uh, hold on, hold on, you know. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to jump the gun here, you know. I had to spend time thinking about these options. Uh, <laughs> Or C, connecting for doing a ministry uh, together. Yeah, uh, you know, a lot of you guys, yeah, you guys already kind of jumped on. This is B, connecting for romantic interest. And this is actually my first email to Faye, my wife, who is my wife today. Yeah. So as you can see, right, uh, there's, there's um, a letter in a lot of ways, um, even though there's, you know, some clues in here and everything else, but sometimes you don't exactly know exactly what the context of the letter, if, especially if you don't have, you know, the person who wrote the letter or any of those kind of things. But they're still inside the letter itself or inside this email, you can kind of get a feel of what the purpose behind this email and the letter to the Ephesians is. So with that, I'd like to read from Ephesians chapter 3, 1 through 4. And this is actually a section of Ephesians that Paul gives us some insight into why he wrote this letter to the Ephesians. And so let me read this for us. This is from chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. As I previously wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I've written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. And so here, you see here in verse 3, as I previously wrote, as I briefly wrote earlier, he's referring back to the earlier part of his letter. And, you know, he's talking about that God revealed to him this mysterious plan in Christ. 
And, you know, after reading through Ephesians multiple times and taking the class and everything, I can really say that that's really the heartbeat of this letter, that because that God revealed to Paul something amazing in Jesus, that he now wants to share that with the Ephesians, this, this revelation that he's, he has. And, and you can read about that in the book of Acts, that he wants to then take that and share that with the Ephesians and show them how that even applies to their life today. Right? And so as we think about that, as we read this letter, I, I want us to go through that same journey, that same journey of as we see what Paul is talking about, as he expounds upon what was revealed to him in Jesus, and ultimately what that really means for our lives. And so what's so amazing is, and coming back to these uh, verses, the first two verses of Ephesians, Paul, even in his introduction, and just to let you guys know, in, in the kind of Greco-Roman world, this ancient Greco-Roman world, there was like a, a standard form to their letters. There was always like an introduction and then a thanksgiving and then a body. And Paul, what's so amazing about Paul is that in, even in the introduction, even though he could have just wrote, you know, a lot of us, you know, sometimes when we write like standard business letters or emails or things, we just, you know, it's very cordial and we follow always the same pattern. But Paul uses this as an opportunity in the introduction to share the key themes in his letter. And so the key themes really showing up on the screen here is really God's holy people, grace and peace. And these themes, as, and we'll unpack them as, as I preach you know, further on uh, in this year, these themes really impact the way that we view not just ourselves, but this church, uh, our lives around us, our work, our children, it touches every part of our lives. But for today, uh, I'm going to take a, <laughs> a step back, and we're just going to briefly talk about these themes in a, in a specific way. We're going to talk about these themes in a way that God calls us to something through these themes, that God calls us to something. And so when we look at them, we'll see that when God calls us, or God calls the Ephesians his holy people, we'll see that God is calling us to represent him. And then when he talks about grace, God's calling us to be generous. And then lastly, when God, you know, when he talk, Paul talks about peace, that's when God calls us to oneness. So for this first calling, God calls us to represent him. So what does God's holy people have to do with this calling of representing him. So, so last week, Pastor Dave preached on holiness. He explained that holy, holy means set apart or totally other. And, and I really liked uh, his illustration. I mean, he's, he's so creative. I, I, I got, what was his name? Like Quan? Something Quan, right? I, I don't watch Survivor, so sorry. <laughs> but it's just, it was such a really good way of looking at holiness, right? Like, you know, here's us, and then, or, you know, or Amoeba, sorry, Amoeba, Pastor Dave, and then way, way over here is, is Quan. And, and uh, you know, it's funny, just as a side comment, Faye and I have started watching Physical 100 on, on Netflix. Um, sorry, uh, I, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's distracting for you guys <laughs> to, to share as a pastor I'm watching these things. But, but it's just, man, these people are amazing. Wow, huge. It's like, they feel like they're totally other, you know, totally other. Anyways, it's a, it's a good illustration of what it means to be holy. And, and 
really this 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 idea that God is calling his people to be holy, it really goes all the way back to the book of Exodus and, and Moses. And, you know, when God uses Moses and tells him to call his people out of Egypt, to set them free, let my people go, and I'm, I'm sure many of us are familiar with that story, they, there's a story after that, that God brings the people to this mountain called Mount Sinai, and then he gives the Ten Commandments. And really there, the purpose of the Ten Commandments is really to establish a covenant, a relationship. It's like a cross between a marriage and a political treaty. And he really ultimately is calling them to be his holy people. But in fact, God just didn't want to stop there to call them his holy people. He wanted them to be holy just as he was holy. You know, and in that level, I think when we think about that, sometimes we think about that as when we're being called to be holy, we think about it as, oh, wow, that means I have this standard that's way up here and I need to live this out. But really, God's intention is really different than that. It's more than just meaning a standard. It's more about representing God. You know, I think that's what's really vital in this understanding of holiness. And Paul even talks about that later in his letter. But that really holiness and being God's holy people isn't about a moral standard. And I think that's, it's so ingrained. And I, I feel like even in my own life, I feel that I sometimes get caught up in that. How one of the times when we feel the sense of, oh, wow, God calls us to be holy, that I feel like, okay, I need to read my Bible more. I need to pray more. I need to do this more and all these things more. And those are not bad things. But the purpose behind being God's holy people is not just to be able to say that, wow, I'm a super religious guy and I go to church every Sunday. But really, ultimately, it's to represent God to those around us to show other people what God looks like through our lives. I mean, this if you think about it, going back to what Pastor Dave preached on in Isaiah, when, when Isaiah comes into God's holy presence and he's like, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And he's like, he's like, woe is I, I am a man of unclean lips. right? But then what God does in that moment is doesn't say, yeah, you're right, you are an unclean guy, you know, get out of here. No, what God does is he takes a coal and puts it on Isaiah's lips. And really what that represents is God's purpose and intention is to be with Isaiah, to invite him into that holy presence, to cleanse him, so that then later on Isaiah goes out to share God's message with his people, with the Israelites. Really, we see in there the heartbeat of God, that God's holiness is meant to be shared, that through us it's not just a moral standard. It's more than that. And so, you know, I, I want to share from Ephesians chapter 4. This is, this is really where Paul kind of, like, shares this idea about re- representing God um, and, and really, ultimately, how to practically go about doing it. And here in Ephesians 4, verses 20 to 24, Paul says this. He says, But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And so 
kind of even going back to that this is a letter. You know, sometimes even when we read this, we could just focus on certain words, right? We could say, you know, truly righteous and holy. And a lot of times we automatically get pulled back into that this is, okay, this is the theological thing that God has called us to be, and so therefore I need to live a certain way. But what really Paul's heart in this, even in this, is to tell the Ephesians, no, there is a way to go about life that to represent God, and that each of us have a choice. He's using words like throwing off the old sinful nature and putting on your new nature, and this idea of like clothing, right? So like even this morning, like I was getting prepared today, I had to decide what to wear, right? And it's, uh, it's so crazy how much sometimes you have to think about things because I was really debating on whether or not to wear jeans or to wear, you know, slacks. And, you know, and, and, and it's, it's funny, even with, with clothing, you send certain messages because I was like, okay, if I wear jeans, you know, I want to show that as a pastor, you could just come as you are. But then if I wear slacks, I mean, maybe that's too little and I'm not respecting God and, and reverence, you know, and so then I need to wear slacks, right, uh, to show that, you know, being God, speaking for God, preaching is, is important. And so there's even in that, there is a decision-making aspect to it, right? That each day we have to decide what are we going to wear. And I mean, looking out in this room, I see all of us have chosen different things to wear, right? Some of us wearing down and some of us wearing a little bit nicer. And I mean, and no judgment, you know, no judgment. Because <laughs> uh, I, I just remember in college, I got rebuked for wearing jeans to church. Um, and so after that, I've always, you know, that's been sort of a a, a trigger, but but you know no, <laughs> no judgment here. Um, but but we all make choices, right? We all make choices, and that's really what the heart of Paul here in this verses are. He, we have a choice each day, each moment, to put on the new creation. It's not about a standard that we're trying to meet. It's about a choice that we can make each and every moment. And so I want us to think about that. Even as we leave here, even for those on live stream, I, you know, I know that some of you guys you know, are out on a, a nice area on vacation. Uh, you have, after this, if you're on a beach or something, you have a choice. <laughs> you have a choice to represent God, even on vacation, right? And all of us, we have choices to represent God at our work, with our families, with, with those our friends around us, and with those of us uh, at church, we have a choice to put on our new nature and to throw off the old. And that's what it means to represent God. And that's what it means to be God's holy people. So that's the first calling, the first way. Now the second way, God calls us to be generous. God calls us to be generous. And this calling is tied to this theme of grace. And at first, Grace and generosity kind of might seem like very two different ideas, two different themes. You know, and, and you know, I think that really stems from that many of us, when we think of grace, we think of grace as something that's unmerited, unconditional. We're given to it. We're given, you know, und- like God gives us grace that we don't deserve. Right? While generosity is about, about giving. But really what's really interesting is that ultimately Grace, or the most basic meaning of grace in Greek, is is a gift. Um, if you could put up that on the screen, charis is the Greek word for grace, and charis's most basic meaning is a gift, a gift. 
And also, what it can also mean is the nature or attitude of the one giving the gift. And I, and I think what's, what, why this is important is because sometimes we put into our own meaning into grace or even gift giving. And I don't have time to get into all of this, but, but if we think about it, when you give someone a gift, uh, what is the most virtuous form of giving a gift? Is really just to give it like where it's the person doesn't even expect it and you want nothing in return. And what's interesting is in Paul's time, the definition of what a gift is was very different, was vastly different. But ultimately, what Paul was thinking about this in terms of using charis as a gift was to talk about the nature of the one giving the gift. And if you think about it, if Paul is talking about that God is giving us this grace, this gift, this favor of the Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus himself, even as Audrey was sharing, right, died and was buried and was raised, but this was his unconditional love shown to us or unmerited love shown to us while we were still yet enemies, that the nature of this gift is enormous generosity, enormous generosity, that it really points to how generous God really is. Because if we think about it, I, sometimes we don't make the connections about what it really means for God to save us. And I've just been thinking about this because, you know, I don't really like looking at the news a lot because, you know, you look at the news, you, you just get frustrated or you just get depressed and things like that. But if you, I was thinking about that. Why is that the case? It's because when you see the news, it reflects just that humanity is somehow just prone to destroy ourselves. <laughs> like, it is so crazy out there, like what's happening a lot of the time. And if you think about that, if, if humanity ultimately is just prone to destroy ourselves, and I would, I would posit that as Christians, I view that as really an out, outcome of sin, that God saves us from destroying ourselves. That if you even look at our own personal lives, that we make sometimes choices that are so bad choices, and we don't even understand why. But God saves us from that. He is giving us a way to be more like him, to live life that is truly life. And we didn't even ask for it. And we, a lot of times, resist him. But his generosity over and over again brings us back to him. And so I think this is important even as we look at our lives because how we view this world, and you can even see this in the news, is we view this world a lot of times in the terms of scarcity. We look at it in terms of scarcity. I mean, if you think about it with our jobs or our careers, you know, as we get more and more experience, and many of us have been in the workplace for a very long time, like the, the positions that we can then move to become smaller and smaller. You know, as it become like director or vice president or any of these other areas, like those numbers of positions become smaller and smaller. Or if you look at your kids' sports, I know many of us, you know, have kids that are now in youth sports. And then, you know, like it's so competitive. I, I hear stories from you guys that it's like these kids, they have to go to practice like 5 in the morning or 5.30 and practice in the evening and then continuously. And, and you guys have to drive them around. I mean, I'm just, I'm surprised that you're even here. 
<laughs> it's just it's so crazy the amount of work that is doing. But then it's it's because there's it's so competitive. There's so few number of spots. And I, I was even thinking of a, just a, a stupid illustration. Like I always get annoyed because I want to fill my gas at Costco, and every time I pass there, man, Schomburg Costco, do not go there. It is so crazy the lines there, man, man. Even I, I get I get Monday as my Sabbath, and even on a Monday afternoon. Man, the line's so long. Limited number of, of gas pumps there. But how then is God so generous in this limited, scarce world? Right? How is God generous? How does, that, how does that even work? And I think it really comes back to how we view the world, right? Because if we look at our jobs as something that, you know, what I... I think is right, what these are the positions that are right for me, then it is scarce. Or if you look at the kids' sports as this is, this is ultimately what is needed for our kid is this opportunity to get on this team for their future and, and you know, to get into the right college, then yeah, it is, it's tough. But if we look at the lens through God's generosity, what was revealed in Jesus, then our careers are more opportunities to reflect who God is in our workplaces. We can represent him. And really, the position itself, while it is important, you know, it doesn't, isn't the end-all, be-all. That we can represent him, not just by like, always sharing the gospel or these kind of things, but by the work itself. Our work brings about order and stability that God wants in this world that we help people through our positions and through our skills that we have at our jobs. Or if you look at our kids' sports, like getting on a team doesn't necessarily have to be the end-all, be-all. It doesn't necessarily have to define who they are or who we are as parents. But our identity really is more bound up in who Jesus is and who God says we are than any kind of external thing, whether or not this, they're able to make the team or not. And unfortunately, there is uh, no redemption for Costco gas. <laughs> Sorry, no, I, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> but really, God's generosity leads us to be generous. right? When we start seeing the world in this way, when we start seeing that God has given us many different things, that maybe we're just right now so focused on other things, but when we take the time, when we create the space, to think about what God has given us. And I, I just, I'm so thankful for our sister Sue for sharing what she did, that God is using this terrible, terrible disease to show more of himself in her life and to show just the generosity that's there. And as we begin to see the world in that way, how can we not help but feel generous, right? That we feel like we have more to give because God has given us so much. And so that's the really amazing thing about this, is that even Jesus modeled this for us, that there was a freedom that Jesus lived in this world. And I, I'm sure many of us long for that freedom. Many of us, I hear from, from sharing with you, you feel like you're on this hamster wheel, that every come Monday rolls around, you've got to get back on that hamster wheel and get to work and take care of the kids and take them to the youth sports and do this and do that. And even church itself becomes another part of the hamster wheel that you have to then make it time on Sunday so that you can you know, get the food ready and get all this other stuff ready. But there is a freedom in God's generosity 
where it doesn't have to be like that. That God is so generous with us and that we can live out in that generosity where maybe those things, some of these things don't matter as much as we think it does. You know, I'm learning that too. My life, super busy. (laughs) But God is trying to show me, even in preparing for today, that he is so generous, so generous with so many things. If I just spend the time to even see a fraction of that, that I don't have to feel like I'm always having to keep up with everything else. And that there is freedom in this calling of being generous. That was the second. Now the third and the last one that uh, Paul introduces in his first two verses. He calls us to oneness. And this is really tied to the calling of peace. Of peace. You know, Paul makes this connection in uh, chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. He says this. Paul says this. He says, Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. You see, peace for Paul wasn't just about getting along. It wasn't just about making sure that we don't rock the boat, that everyone seems okay. You know. But peace for Paul was so much more than that. It was more about the intended outcome of Jesus dying on the cross and his resurrected life. It was about what life in the Spirit ultimately calls us to. And this, this idea of peace, and I've preached on it before, this idea of wholeness is, is more than just an individual wholeness. But there's a wholeness that we can experience all together as a body. And I was just, it was just struck me, even, even this morning as we were praying you know, for service, right? there, were, there were four of us. Um, and each of us were a, dith- a different ethnicity. There was a Korean, um, Chinese, there was Caucasian, there was Indian. And it's just amazing to think about that, that, you know, in any other circumstance, what would really bring us together? I mean, maybe all of us like to read the same books. You know, maybe all of us like to shop at Costco, you know, right? But, I mean, those things, yeah, that could bring people together. But there's something deeper about coming together because of Jesus, because we all want to know what it really means to follow Jesus, this thing that God has revealed to us that has changed our lives just as it did Paul's. And that really ultimately is a picture of the peace that Paul is talking about. And it takes effort, right? Paul here, even in these verses, right, in verse 3, he says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace, right? It, It takes effort. You have to work towards it. It's not something that just happens. But ultimately, when we do work at it, and, and in very even in practical ways, right? There are very practical ways of working on peace, on working on this. So that ultimately, it's a calling to oneness, to oneness. And, and there's, I just want to acknowledge, too, that, yes, there are conflicts in our church, and there's maybe conflicts even in your own marriage right now. And I don't want to simplify those things, because conflicts, it, it takes work, it takes effort, it takes time, and sometimes 
right? It's even in the Bible, like Paul and Barnabas. Paul himself got into a conflict with one of the leaders of the church. Barnabas is the guy who brought Paul in to the church. And they got so angry at each other that they left and went separate ways. And later on we read that there might have been some reconciliation, but that was years later. And so even in our Bible, we see that this is not a simple thing just to say, oh, peace, great, oneness, as long as you know, we don't argue, that that's, that's it. But there is something deeper that God is calling us to that takes extreme effort and work. But if we are willing to do that, and I think that's, in a sense, my heart that I feel like God is calling us as a church, if we are willing to work towards peace and oneness, that that oneness will show to everybody what this really is about. That the oneness that we can experience, not just for ourselves, but for those around us. And that is fundamentally different than what the world has to offer. So I just want to end with this thought. What has God called us to as a church? What has God called us to as a church? Do we gather together on Sundays to personally grow? You know, as individuals? That's a good thing. Don't get me wrong. We need to do that. But I believe there is a bigger reason why God calls us together as a church. More than just in our individual lives, God has called us together to represent him. Right? We together, all together, represent him. Right? And I think this is really also the heart of Paul. That Paul, when he talks about you and to the Ephesians, these things, he's not just saying you as individuals, but you as a whole body, as a whole church. And I think that's what God is calling us today on. That it's not just our individual lives. And yes, our individual lives matter because in our individual lives, it makes up all of this. But we are also called all together to represent him. And we are also all together called to be generous. Right? I, I, I am amazed. I don't know if you guys are on uh, Church Center app, but I'm so amazed at the HCC All Group. Like there are... Some, some of you may be annoyed because, you know, people post all sorts of things on there and say, does anyone want this? But I, I view it as this amazing thing that people are so generous. They have so much to give. It's like, hey, does anyone need this baby stroller? You know, and that's the thing. I didn't even know that baby strollers can be so expensive. Man, what's, what's with these companies? So it's your baby, you know? Like, anyways, and it's just, and people are willing to give things like that away to whoever wants it in this church. I mean, that is a picture of generosity at this whole church level, all together as a body. And ultimately, I feel like when we represent him, when we are generous with one another and generous with those in our community, that ultimately, that will bring to us together as one. That that shows our oneness, especially in this culture and day and age of such, so much dividedness that everybody everywhere wants to just yell at each other and, and put down each other and cancel each other and all sorts of things. And even in the church, you see that over and over again. But God calls us to something completely different. And so if, I just want us to reflect on that. 
What has God called us to as a church? And in this way, more than just harvest community, I think God is even seeing something even bigger. And this is where I think Paul ultimately is pointing to in his letter. That our lives as Christians, our life as a church, really ultimately is a calling to participate in God's kingdom. That what Jesus started on his earthly ministry and ultimately ushered in with his death on the cross and eventually his resurrection, that what is happening, even right now, is God's kingdom is breaking into this world, into this moment. That God's kingdom, this amazing where, where there is justice, where there is mercy, where there is goodness, is breaking into this world right now. And we can participate in that right now. And you don't have to be a pastor to participate in it. You can, be, you can do that at your workplace, as a mom, as a dad, in youth sports. You can participate in God's kingdom right now. And that is ultimately the amazing thing of what Paul is talking about in Ephesians. And that is ultimately what our calling is as Christians, to usher in God's kingdom today when we decide to put on the new creation and throw off the old. There's so much more, I think, to this life that sometimes we just don't see. And I'm guilty of it too. And I think that is really ultimately what God is calling us to. So let's, let's pray. Let's, I know that that was a lot to take in, but I, I just feel the sense that God wants us to sit with him in this moment. That this calling that God has given us as Christians is so much bigger than what we can even imagine. And I know that you know sometimes you feel a conviction and then it kind of fades. I just want us to even now take a moment just to sit with God and allow him to speak with us and allow ask him to give us just a sense of his presence. And I think ultimately through that, that that would then enable us to really see God work, not just on Sundays, but on every day. So let's take a moment, close our eyes, and as we just pray, um, you know, the praise team will play some background music, and then I'll close our time together. Father, Lord, we ask that in this moment, may you guide us into your presence.
Lord, I know that there are probably many things going on in our minds right now, whether it's about the message or about service or about our families or jobs, so many things. But I pray, Father, that you would help us put those aside and just be with you right now. Father, help us lay aside all the worries, the anxiety, the busyness, everything. Help us put that aside. And Lord, I pray that as we do that, that you would speak to us, that your still small voice that is so easily missed would speak to us. And that, Lord, I know in faith that you have something to say to each of us. Something only you have for each of us individually. But Lord, I know that you are such an amazing God that all the individual things that you're saying to us all fit together as one body. And I don't know how that works, but I know that you do. And that is truly amazing. That is the amazing thing about you, God, that you know everything and everyone so intimately. And you know us as a church, as a body as well. So, Father, help us to represent you. Help us to see your generosity so that we could be generous. And so, Lord, help us ultimately as you do these things so that we could be one. Because, Lord, that is ultimately the peace that you want to bring. So, Father, thank you. Thank you that you do not leave us alone, but bring us with you and that you are here right now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.